0: It's Sunday night here. We're live. Actually, Late Kick is live. Sunday night, February 4th, The Year of Our Lord 2024, but a lot of stuff has happened ever since Friday, so you haven't spoken about it yet. You may be wondering, well, how do I make sense of this? What's going on? We got an alliance? Do we not have an alliance? Big Ten, SEC. Basically, I'm going to explain it all tonight. Don't worry, but if you need to have a cinematic metaphor, maybe a cinematic analogy put in front of you, college football's having its twister moment. I'll tell you what I mean in just a second. We're high atop a spirited downtown Nashville, Tennessee. The city is abuzz. A couple of days of suntan caliber weather, if we're being honest with ourselves and hoomstead to thunk it, because we were below zero two weeks ago. But yes, friends, we're here, we're live. College football is changing as we speak. Some of you are going to love it. Uh, many of you are going to at least like it. Some of you are going to hate it that's the case with anything in this sport, but I'm going to describe to you exactly what's happening tonight. I know a lot of you have been sort of out on all this. Don't worry. This is where you need to be. I'll explain everything that's going on and everything that we can't know yet. I'll explain that as well. This is also the show. We have chosen to take this upon ourselves to power rate every program in the SEC tonight. Why would we do that? I really don't know, but we're going to do it tonight uh, because, well, because it's the right thing to do. I'll tell you why. I Notice I didn't say power rate. Good old fashioned power rankings tonight on the show. Nebraska, what could they be? USC, what could they be? I will discuss. I got several breakout quarterbacks to talk to you about tonight. Maybe sprinkle in a little Dion in Colorado. Josh, you always talk about them. I don't think we've done a Dion segment in 2024 yet. They're watching us in Naples, Florida, Santa Cruz, California, Knoxville, Tennessee and Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. A lot of seismic activity out in Oklahoma all of a sudden. Some are saying Oklahoma may be the new California. Others are disagreeing, but some are saying it. I was going to plug what I'm about to talk about for the next week, but I'm not going to. The Paid State Speaker Series is almost already full. I really underestimated the amount of response we were going to get from programs all across the country the other day. So I'm going to tell you one more time, and then that'll just about be it. We are taking the show on the road to several places this spring. We did it last year. It was a big hit. Uh, we're really, really upping the ante a little bit this year. Uh, here's what we need from you. If you're an SID, head coach, whoever's listening, what we would ask is uh, one-on-one, could be pre-recorded. In fact, most of the time we pre-record those. One-on-one sit down with the head coach, 30, 40 minutes in length, and then the ability to broadcast our show, this show right here, live from your campus, your facility normally somewhere. Don't need a big crowd. Don't need anything like that. Just need a little space to be able to execute a show, preferably with a nice picturesque backdrop. So uh, that's what we're looking for. We have already locked in dates with several programs. I'm going to get to several more tomorrow. So if you're listening, guys, no, I haven't forgotten about you. But yeah, we're really looking forward to that. Why stay in a studio all spring when you can just go out on the road? That's our motto. No offseason around here. All right, let's dive into the show tonight because we have many, many, many different directions to go, but there's only one place to start, I figured. The SEC and the Big Ten announced Friday that they were entering into what they call a partnership, not an alliance. Don't call it an alliance. We know what happens when you have an alliance in college football. Ask the Big Ten, ask the ACC, ask the Pac-12. RIP PAC 12, by the way. So, this is a partnership. What is this? What does it actually mean for those of you who were living your lives Friday and you weren't glued to the internet? Well, I will tell you exactly what it means and what it doesn't mean in just a second. But you know what I can now do? I'm very glad this is happening in early, well, really late winter, not even early spring, because I thought I was going to have to wait a little while on this. Colin, could you do me a favor? Could you hit the not so way back machine? Let's go back to December 30th, 2023, in Los Angeles, California, I was out there for the Rose Bowl. You have heard me, if you've listened to or watched the show lately, you heard me speak about this little moment several times. I didn't just go out there to California. You get to go out there and you get to be around a lot of people who are movers and shakers in the college football world. And right there at 8.20 p.m. that night, I tweeted the following, I am very confident big changes are coming to college football. Multiple tipping points have been hit. I don't know when or how yet, but very powerful people seem aligned in their belief that something big is imminent. This was one of them. It's not the only one. This is one of them. I know this whole Big Ten SEC thing may seem a little reactive, Uh, I would call it more the sit and wait approach. They've known where they're headed with this. Tony Petiti in the Big Ten, Greg Sankey in the SEC, they've known where they're headed with this for quite a while. Now, you can either do one of two things. You can either come out on a random Tuesday afternoon, independent of nothing, and say, we're in this together now, or you can, behind the scenes, work things that you need worked, and then wait for something to blow up. This is college athletics. Something blows up every other day. The NCAA is investigating several programs for NIL, you say? Big Ten, you ready? SEC, you ready? All right, let's go public. In reaction, seemingly in reaction. Very well played from a PR perspective. I don't necessarily buy it, but it's very well played in that it looks like these two reacted to some overreach from the NCAA last week. You know, the Tennessee investigation, and they're looking into several other programs. Those will be made public in due time. to relevant because the NCAA will probably get taken to the cleaners legally. Nine ways from Sunday, as I've said many times. So forget about that. And I I am not buying that this was reactionary to that. But the 50,000 foot view is it doesn't matter if it was reactionary or not. We got it. The Big Ten and the SEC have locked arms. They're done messing around. I've been telling you this for months now. It's exactly what I was talking about in that tweet. And there are a couple other big dominoes coming, and one of them will take about another year to fall. And it's going to happen in a courtroom. So in the meantime, You got the SEC and you got the Big Ten locking arms saying enough people are mad. And you know how you've probably watched the state of college football, and I have as well, and you've probably yelled a time or two, why isn't anyone doing anything? And you've probably yelled a time or two, why isn't anything changing? Well, the answer to those questions is usually it hasn't gotten bad enough yet. It can be that way in your neighborhood. It can be that way in politics. It can be that way in sports. When something's happening that you don't like, and then more and more people don't like it, it just has to get bad enough. Once it gets bad enough, something will be done about it. And college football and college athletics have finally gotten bad enough. And now people are doing something about it. Now, there's a lot that's still nebulous about this. In fact, Ross Dellinger, who, by the way, I would highly recommend you read on anything to do with these matters, uh, because he is very, very well sourced on this, he had a pretty lengthy piece on Yahoo Sports Friday in which he was quoting Greg Sankey. And Greg Sankey was making sure to caution everyone. Now, this is not us trying to break away from the NCAA. This is not an effort to secede the SEC and the Big Ten away from the NCAA. And, and they were very, very direct in that language. Well, we'll see on that. You know, I happen to believe midterm to long term that will happen. And I don't really care what was said in that article. Uh, it's accurate reporting. It is an accurate representation of the quote. But you see, planning to and meaning to versus ending up doing something, totally different things. Um, if you've ever had to put down a pet, which most of us have, Um, did you ever enter the year leading up to it saying, I plan to put my pet down this year? No, 99% of you had it come up on you within weeks or maybe a month or two and it sucks and no one wants to do it, but you do it anyway. Why? Because you're out of options and the alternative is something that's unacceptable. I don't doubt that Greg Sankey, who is kind of a lifer in this business, and I don't doubt that Tony Petiti, who has been around the block several times, would love to see status quo, would love to see some form of a higher governing body maintained so that they don't have to take all this on their plate. But there's what you want, and then there's what ends up being feasible. And what ends up being feasible, maybe not in 2024, but 27 or 28 or 25, uh, could be maybe not quite aligned with what they want. So there's what you want. You can want in one hand, as Meemaw would say, and I'll let you finish your quote, uh, but you can also have situations that dictate you have to take forceful action. The difference is no one's taken forceful action yet, and now you've got a couple of entities here that can take forceful action. The rest of the college football and college athletics world will go downstream of what the SEC and the Big Ten do. Now, what does that mean? Um, it could mean many things. And I don't necessarily know that even Greg Sankey and Tony Petiti have some solidly penned-out game plan. It may be written in in varying degrees of pencil, because you got to be able to erase and you gotta be flexible here. But here's the bottom line for you as a fan and for me. Uh, you don't need to get lost in the legal weeds. You just need to understand if you don't think there's enough structure in college football right now, it's coming. Structure's coming. It will be for the better overall. It will not make everyone happy, but it is in the process of happening. And that wheel is in motion now. Now, I will also tell you that if we go back to that tweet I was talking about for a second, this is not the only big domino to fall. In fact, this is probably a domino that is a precursor in understanding others are going to fall. And guys, I know it sounds like I'm just talking about these NCAA investigations, I'm talking about the NCAA, and I'm talking about some other very, very looming challenges for that organization and for college athletics in general. I mean, there are a lot of things that seem to be over in different compartments happening in college athletics right now. You look at NIL And then your buddy could be looking at NCAA investigations. And then your other buddy could be looking at a class action lawsuit that's being brought in the the ninth district court of Northern California. And you could think to yourselves, wow, look at these three stories. It's not three stories. That's one story. It all wraps around. It all eventually bleeds down into what will culminate in what the future of college athletics looks like. I say that vaguely because it is vague. But I'm telling you, there's some pretty existential threats to the current way of doing things that Greg Sankey knows and Tony Petiti knows and major networks know are coming. And if it means that things as they have been dissolve, then so be it. You got to position yourself for having the best path moving forward. And this was a gigantic step in doing that. Could get worse before it gets better. It will get better. It will get better. I put on the thumbnail for the show tonight. College football will win the battle. Uh, I think college athletics and college football will win the war. Uh, it's it's a it's a war that has sort of been self-inflicted and self-ignited over decades of inaction, uh, but I think we will be okay. It's just that world's going to look a whole lot different. And figuratively, there will be casualties. There will be people. There will be universities. There will be programs that have to fall along the wayside uh, for the greater good of college athletics. But just remember, and I'll leave you with this, and I'm moving on to other things. Um, Remember this. A lot of people forcefully banged the drum for change in college athletics over the last decade. And it was done in the name of things like players' rights, and it was done in the name of many, many different things. And I was was okay with it, even if I didn't agree with it, because you know what? You can want whatever you want. You can fight for whatever you want to fight for. The thing that I kind of tried to say on the show is I may not get it in the moment, but I do understand you cannot get the changes that you're claiming you want consequence free. You know, if you have an action over here, there may be an equal and opposite reaction somewhere. Well, I think one of the biggest warning flares that a lot of people try to send up and continue to try and send up in vain about fundamentally altering the face of college football and college athletics is what if you get the changes you want to the detriment of other sports? And I think that is very, very close to happening. I think there are some athletic directors out there who know that's close to happening. I think there are some ADs who understand in the next couple of years, they're going to have to make some very, very painful announcements about non-revenue generating sports. That's coming. That's coming. Some announcement you thought you'd never hear because the model for a long time looked to be that those non-revenue generators would be subsidized until the end of time by revenue generators like football. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. I didn't want that, uh, but that may be where we're headed. And hey, that's not the end of the world now. That just means money has to come from somewhere else. That's all that means. Let's move along. All right. So I asked you guys, what, like a month ago now, I said, what do you think the biggest story this year will be? Now, that's that's a big one, obviously. We just had the SEC and the Big Ten say, "Uh, well, we're kind of in this together now. That's a big story. No one predicted that one, though, so I'm still open for submissions on what the biggest story of 2024 would be. Well, we were thumbing through the archive today, and we found this one. So I ask you guys what the biggest story this year will be. Burke comes and says, no undefeated teams, and a team with three losses... Will be in the national title game. Well, I can see no undefeated teams, because I mean the, the road is very rocky, especially in these major conferences now with the schedules you're gonna have to play. Um, so you know, we've been having undefeated teams, but I could see no undefeated teams. I could see it. However, Bert, when you tell me a three-loss team is gonna be in the title game, it's harder to see but I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it, as you know, being the sadistic person I am, I would like to see it because I want to see the reaction. I have told you this before. I think we've touched on this a couple of times this year already. I just want to know how it's going to be received. Now, forget the folks who fought expansion or uh, even the people who were indifferent on it. You know, back when we used to debate this stuff, before it was announced that we were going to have a 12-team playoff, there were some, and I was included, who said, you know, I think you may get to that world where you think it'll open the door for more teams and you think there'll be a Cinderella story. And I think you may be disappointed at seeing who the Cinderella ends up becoming. You know, you're going to get to the title game, you're gonna have a three loss team there, and they tear off the Cinderella mask. And it's just LSU. Like it's just a, an SEC team who got their act together late after they lost some games early in the year that otherwise would have eliminated them in a prior model and now all of a sudden, there you go. There, there's Tennessee. You know, there's LSU. Um, do you like that? How will that be received? Well, back then it was just speculative. Now, in Burke's aforementioned example, I would assume it's happened. And I was, I was reading that, and I was thinking to myself, where would the three-loss team come from? I think it's got to be an SEC team, uh, or there's another world where let's just say. Uh, An Ohio State or someone like that, an Oregon, they have their quarterback hurt at the beginning of the year. They lose some games. They get them back late in the year. That could happen. That's a pretty far out there example. That could happen. But more likely to me is an example like LSU this past year, where LSU uh, loses some games because they can't play a lick of defense, but somehow they end up being really good in the red zone. Later in the year, they get some key efficiency metrics figured out enough to where they're riding a Heisman caliber quarterback, they got multiple stars at receiver, and they can outscore anyone, and they get in the playoff, and they win a few games, and all of a sudden they're red hot, no one wants to face them, and there they are. Three loss, LSU, let's just say, is in the title game. If, in other words, if we had a 12-team playoff this past year, and LSU ended up making a run getting to the title game, what would you think about it? For those of you who wanted expansion, would you be happy with that? Would you say that's a good thing because it means anyone could get hot late in the year and they could make it? That means more teams stay alive. Or would you say, wow, that kind of rendered them losing a quarter of their games in the regular season meaningless? Because if you can just get hot late and this is still a sport where talent is disproportionately going to be slanted towards a few teams, even in the NIL and portal area, it's going to be that way. Do I really like this? I'm not talking as me. I'm talking as you. I'm asking you guys. So, you know, Burke, it's it's a radical prediction, but I don't think it's that radical. I've told you I think someone's going to make some run early in the expanded playoff field. It's just not going to be who you think it is. That Cinderella is going to look far more familiar than many of you want her to look you want her to look brand new. You want her to look like a team that you've never seen there before. And she gets there and she peels off that mask and, oh, cool. It's Alabama. Welcome back. What have you been doing lately? Thought we were rid of you. That's fun. Oh, so Alabama is going to play for a title with three losses. Awesome. Great. New blood. I don't know. We'll see. Academy Sports and Outdoors, one week ago, eh, what was it, like uh, eight, nine days ago, I was on here, on this very show here, Late Kick Live, and I said, hey, man, we got some spring-like weather coming, but I, I said it, you know, sort of open-endedly. I didn't know when it was going to happen. Turns out it happened this week, the eastern two-thirds of the United States. It was beautiful this week. Like I said, we had a couple of days of 65 and 70-degree sunshiny conditions in Nashville, and... Um, Look, I mean, I don't want to brag, but a lot of people had Academy gear out and about in the greater Nashville area, Davidson and Williamson County. And so I was very happy to see that. I was down at a park. Colin, you ever been to that place called Marcella Vivrette Park? It's down in like Brentwood somewhere. I saw a guy pulling around an Academy buggy the other day. True story. Gelby does it all the time on the road. I saw that guy doing it. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, why do I tell you this? Well, they are our partner, kind of like the SEC and the Big Ten, We have entered into a strategic partnership with Academy, and it works like this. We do a college football show, and then they make sure that you can watch it for free. What a partnership, right? It it all works out. In fact, it's them, us, and you. So it's sort of one of those three-way partnerships. It always works out. And um, academy.com is how you can find them if you can't get there in person. But get there in person. All the outdoor sporting goods equipment you need is there. All the camping, all the grills. All the accessories, all the big league chew, all of it is there. Academy Sports and Outdoors, they got you covered. I wish this were later in the show, but it's not. It's time. All right, let me let me lip balm up. All right, coconut pear making a, another appearance on the show tonight. All right, let me let me uh, chalice up. Because this is going to be one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. <coughs> just mentally preparing. Hold on. Just give me, give me a second. All right, here we go. I'm ready, Colin. I am ready right here to power rank every program in the SEC. Not historically. When I talk about power ranking programs, here's what I mean. My criteria is I look at a three-year rolling snapshot of your on-field performance, of your talent acquisition, of your stability, and your resource pool how go to your facilities, how deep are your pockets, how able are you to compete at the highest levels to hire? Those are the things I care about, not over the past 20 years, over the past three years. That's how I define this. Those are my critical metrics. We have 16 teams in this conference right now. I figure we start in tier one. Georgia's the top program in the SEC right now pretty easy. Over the past three years, they have won a couple of national championships. They've only lost two games, I think, and they've both been to Alabama. They are very stable. They have, at the moment, who I would rank as the number one overall head coach in the SEC, and who knows, maybe even college football with Kirby Smart. Just a machine, just a freight train with every car, either painted red or black, all moving in the same direction. I mean, they just lost Claude Felton, and they still may not skip a beat. And Claude's a legend. Claude, enjoy retirement, by the way, Claude. Forgot to mention that the other day. A guy who has done a lot to help this show out, I can promise you. Number two program in the SEC is Alabama. And coaching change matters here because had Bama not lost Nick Saban, Alabama probably is still the number one program because they've, they've beaten Georgia the last couple of times they've, well, two two of the last times they play, um, They've got double-digit wins every year. Kalen DeBoer is a phenomenal coach. I've got him as a top-five head coach in the country. So it's not like Alabama massively downgraded. You lose a legend, but in the here and now, the day-to-day, day, the month-to-month, month, the year-to-year, year, you replace him with a really high-caliber head coach in his own right, and Kalen DeBoer just put together a really good staff. They've been the number 1A recruiter along with Georgia in this conference over the last several years, And there's never a question of commitment. There's never a question of resource here. They're all in. So this is pretty simple. Georgia, Alabama, and you can put them in any order you want to. I I mean, I was pretty solidly Georgia one, Alabama two, given the coaching turnover. But that's tier one. Now, I could go to tier two right now, but that would be too simple. So what I want to do is go to tier five. We ended up having five tiers of programs in the SEC. I want to go to number fourteen right quick. Let's get the bottom taken care of. Arkansas, number fourteen program in the SEC right now. There's clear regression with this program. They've gone nine and four, seven and six, four and eight the last three years on field. You've had a ton of staff turnover. They've done pretty decently recruiting, but there's Big question regarding the overall stability. Mississippi State is number 15, and that's much more just a victim of circumstance with what happened with Mike Leach, and they've had three head coaches now in three years. Jeff Lebby as a head coach, we don't know anything about him because this will be his first shot as a head coach. Um, They've been fairly good at acquiring talent, but until there's less unknown, we got to put Mississippi State there. And Vanderbilt, we put in their own tier. We called it tier V, We're not going to bang on Vanderbilt right down the road from us. Good people over there. But Vanderbilt, of course, is going to be number 16 in the SEC. Now, I want to go to tier four. Let's work our way up a little bit. The number 11 program in the SEC right now. I've got South Carolina. Last three years, seven and six, eight and five, five and seven. They play brutal schedules every year. So the caliber of ball they're playing would be, you know, much more comparable to like eight wins, nine wins in some other conferences. But we're talking about the SEC here. Uh, They have had top 25 recruiting and good portal. There's good energy about the program. And so I'm putting them at number 11. I look at Kentucky at number 12. We struggled with this. We really struggled with the order of South Carolina and Kentucky. You could easily sell me on 11 and 12 flip flopping. Kentucky's got a 10 win season and a couple of seven win seasons in the last three years. So their on field has been better than South Carolina. They've gone one and two against South Carolina, though. They've got really good portal strategy. Kentucky has not recruited right on par with South Carolina, although it hasn't been far off. Uh, but they've got really good portal strategy and they know exactly what they have to do, they know exactly who they need. Mark Stoops, he's been stable. They've had churn elsewhere. I mean, Liam Cohen's been in and out the door five times in the last three years, it feels like, an offensive coordinator. But South Carolina, Kentucky 11, 12, Florida's all the way down at 13. And I want you to think about this. One of the four bullet points that I care about a lot is resource pool. And Florida's got a much better resource pool than any of the other programs that are floating around down here, which just shows you how poor they've been on the field. They have had three straight, sub 500 seasons but they've also had three top 20 recruiting classes so they're acquiring talent they got good resource pool like there's good tradition the the program that brand is iconic but they're not winning so how in the world could you bump them up they haven't even been above 500 not for one year but for 3 years right now uh 2024 obviously brutal schedule make or break year in many cases for Billy Napier and his staff. And I would also say, before we go to the next tier, I would also say, look at number 11 all the way down through 16. I would say it would be a very, very big surprise, even in a 12-team playoff era, if any of those teams made the playoff this next year. Every other team, from 10 on up, you could paint me a picture where I could see them making the playoff this year. So let's go to Tier 2. Tier 2 or tier three, I guess it would be. Texas A&M, we put it eight. Staff moves have happened here, but I think they equal a net upgrade. So normally, if you lose your head coach, it's dragging you down. I actually think it kind of inflates them a little bit. They've gone eight and four, five and seven, seven and six on the field, but the recruiting and the pool are both top-notch. Resources like you wouldn't believe recruiting's been good. They have been excellent in the portal in Mike Elko's short time there. I got a top five portal class right now. So Texas a at eight. Auburn is at nine. Huge wildcard, probably the biggest wild card team in the conference this year. Hugh Freeze has proven as a program builder and as a head coach. I don't doubt him. It's not like Jeff Levy taking over where he's never been a head coach before, but also I will admit Uh, There is a lot of leaning towards the latter year here. So last year, you know, on the field, they showed, I thought, reasons to be optimistic about the future, but also they just signed number eight recruiting class in the country. And so they're going to be extremely aggressive in the portal as well. I don't think they're done in this cycle, for example. You got a whole lot of stuff about to happen all over the country. So give me Auburn at number nine. Give me Missouri at number 10. Double digit wins last year. How much do we make of that? because they were not that the two years before that. They just extended Eli Drinkwitz, good stability in the program. It feels like 2024 is key here. If 2024 were another 10-win season, I could see Missouri jumping up in like the top seven here. They also have been very good in the portal, and you'll, their, their recruiting's not bad either. So Missouri is a very solid 10. If Missouri is the 10th best program in your conference, and you could probably argue me up past 10, you got a really deep conference. Now let's go to tier... Two. Yeah, finally finally we get up to tier two. This is loaded. This is tough. So we got Texas as the number three program in the SEC. They border on one, tier one. In fact, I guarantee you there are a lot of people who say Texas should be a tier one program. No, they shouldn't. Not right now they shouldn't. They should be a high tier two program and the reasons are right there on the bottom of your screen. On-field production matters a lot here and unlike Georgia and Alabama Texas has lost too many games to inexcusable opponents to merit being a number one program, a tier one program right now. I mean, they've lost to Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, TCU, Washington twice, Arkansas, West Virginia, Kentucky and Baylor or Kansas and Baylor in the last three years. Georgia and Alabama hadn't done that. Texas is not on their level as a program yet. Now, if you wanted to argue from this point moving forward, they will be. That's cool. That's not how I look at it, though. So if you want to do that, That's doing it your way. We're doing it my way here. And therefore, Texas is still really lofty. They're up at number three and a lot of indicators pointing in the right direction. That's why they're number three. Just went to the playoff last year too. LSU at number four. You got the last year of Ed Orgeron still baked in here, but this is Brian Kelly's program now. It's a top talent acquisition program. One of the top head coaches in the country leading the program, back-to-back double-digit win seasons. And so even though I said the last year of Orgeron is baked in, really, really on the back burner when I say baked in, uh, because there is hardly anything that is lingering there about what LSU was under Orgeron in the latter stages. So LSU rock solid, LSU trending in the right direction, strong number four there. And you could argue me, I mean, I would argue back, but you could argue with me they should be number three. I'd put Texas above them. I've got Oklahoma at number five. Oklahoma double digit wins two of the last three years. You've got that Sub 500 year baked in there, but Brent Venables has taken over. He's had three top 10 recruiting and portal classes combined. They've got good stability. Brent Venables, you could argue, still has somewhat of a question mark on him. I think a lot of that's getting answered, though. Uh, this year, much like I said with Missouri, if OU rattles off nine or 10 wins, then they're, they're back to be in Oklahoma. Um, offensive line's a of question. Got Jackson Arnold starting a quarterback this year, but Oklahoma, rock solid program. They're there at number five. There was late change in the power rankings here in six and seven. Because we had Tennessee above Ole Miss most of the afternoon, but then the more we looked at it, the more we said, hold on, Ole Miss has gone 10 and three, eight and five, 11 and two. There's a head-to-head win against Tennessee baked in there. Golf balls involved and everything. W- why would we not put Ole Miss ahead of Tennessee? Well, we are. Uh, they're going about acquiring talent a little different way, but they're they're doing it a way that you're allowed to do it with the portal. And Lane Kiffin, I can't believe this. I think a lot of you find it hard to believe, has created a very, very stable organization over there. And uh, the folks who doubted him before probably still doubt him. And the folks who defended him before still defend him. He's winning football games. I don't know what more to tell you. He's winning football games over there. So uh, we got Ole Miss number six, got Tennessee number seven. Splitting hairs here. You could easily put Tennessee at six. 20 wins in the last two seasons. Uh, they've beaten Alabama. Josh Heupel is a top 15 recruiter, and they've got deep pockets there. The resource pool is not in doubt. Uh, they've got a chancellor who will go to bat for them. They've got an AD who will go to bat for them. So there you see it. The SEC power rankings heading into this year has nothing to do with 2024, It has nothing to do with what I think you will become. That is a three-year rolling snapshot of on-field production, talent acquisition, sort of the, the resources you have, and stability. That's how I define the difference between a program and a team. I'm sure there'll be nothing but agreements in the comments. Let's move on. We had a question about a Big Ten team here. Take another sip from the chalice. Jesse, where would you guess the biggest disagreement will come from there? I think people will disagree with South Carolina and Kentucky. I think some folks will say Texas belongs above. Uh, well, they belong in tier one. Um, Oklahoma, Missouri too low. I could see that very easily because of recency bias or, or just maybe outright truth telling. All right. Anyway, so, so we'll, we'll take a look at that later. Uh, by the way, if you're watching the show, keep doing it. Just subscribe to the channel while you do it. So, Pap Smith, good to hear from Pap uh, in Omaha, Nebraska. He asked, What do you think Nebraska's chances of making some noise in 2024 are in Matt Rule's second year? They were five and seven last year. They had five losses by one possession, they had four field goal losses and a loss by a touchdown, which is the Nebraska story at this point. They only lose one possession games. Excellent defense last year, one of the most underrated defensive staffs in America is right there at Nebraska. They've got two top 25 recruiting classes as of late. Just brought in Dylan Riola. decommitted committed from Georgia. So got the quarterback of the future. So in that snapshot, I feel really good. Also, Matt Rule, year two Matt. He turns things around pretty quickly. Temple, year one, two and 10. Year two, six and six. Year three, 10 and four. And had a, another 10-win season after that. Goes to Baylor, one and 11 his first year. Seven and six is next year, eleven and three his third year. So you started five and seven at Nebraska. What will you do this year? We've seen TCU and Washington play for national championships the last two years. So I will never sit here and tell you something can't happen. Cause had I told you in 2021 that TCU was about to play for a title in the next two years, had I told you in 2022 Washington's gonna play for a national title within two years, you, of course, would have called me crazy and the comment section would have been loaded up with hateful remarks, which would either be not owned up to or deleted. So I don't really care if I buy into Nebraska and you say, well, that's crazy. They're not going to be able to do anything. Well, I mean, look, crazier things have happened is all I'm saying. Now, the answer to the question of how good can they be is probably just better than you think they can be. But I know that when the Big Ten is getting reshuffled like it is, there may be some out there who say their time is past. Their window is past. It used to be you could just hang out in the Big Ten West, be the best of a bunch of mediocre teams, and go to Indy. Get your skull bashed in, but you go to Indianapolis and you could say, hey, we went to the Big Ten title game. Well, now they just take the top two teams from the conference. So how are they going to make it? Well, They play UTEP, Colorado, and Northern Iowa. Out of conference this year, they don't play Penn State, they don't play Michigan, and they don't play Oregon. So Nebraska avoids three of what I would call the top four teams or top four programs in the Big Ten this year, and we've already documented year two under Matt Rule uh, is, is death, taxes, and that's the third thing that's a constant. Your team improving if Matt Rule is your head coach in year three. Take a look at that schedule. UTEP, Colorado, Northern Iowa, Illinois at Purdue, Rutgers at Indiana. They will probably be favored in every one of those games, I would guess. And if not, a very short underdog. And then they've got a game at Ohio State. And they go to USC. That ought to be fun later in the year. So it's there. It's there. Remember, kids, remember, this is the expanded playoff era. They don't have to win the Big Ten. To make some noise there, the Big Ten odds to win the national title. So basically, if you're watching on YouTube, these are Big Ten teams, but the odds you see are from FanDuel, not from me. Those odds are to win the national title. And you see one, two, three, four, five, six. Nebraska's the seventh team. In the odds market. You get really good odds if you think Nebraska is going to make a surprise title run. Um, I think they'll be very good. Probably surprisingly good this year for people who don't know Matt Rule's track record. They're watching us in Franklin, Tennessee, Ardmore, Oklahoma, and Washington, D.C. Oh, by the way, by the way, the other day we were talking in our staff room about the moves Jed Fish was making at Washington And we were talking about all the staff turnover. They're losing 20 or 22 starters, blah, blah, blah. So I asked Jesse to find me who Jed Fish had hired for his defensive coordinator. Jesse Googled Washington, D.C. I was one of the funniest things that I've seen in quite a while and was shocked when he did not immediately get Huskies coaching news in the return. Washington, D.C., that man Googled. All right, let's move on. Let's talk. Amongst ourselves here, so that you can sound smart when you say, I told you so six or seven months from now, about quarterbacks. Gregory from Tampa, Florida. Who are some quarterbacks you think could have a breakout year this year? Well, I got several of them here. Nico Iamaliava, because yes, we do believe in pronouncing college football players' names right on this college football show, is a five-star talent that's worth every bit of headline space that's been dedicated to him. Remember Hendon Hooker a couple of years ago at Tennessee? Remember when Josh Heupel and company kind of rewrote the record books up there with him? Then you had the Joe Milton year. Was what it was. Not terrible, but not outstanding. This is the guy that's next in line for having one of those record book rewriting sort of seasons. Um, Played against Iowa in the bowl game. And it's a bowl game because you can take from it what you want to, but Iowa's defense had season highs hung on them in that game. And that's Nico's, you know, first start. I think it was his first start, wasn't it, Colin? So that's just a very, very small glimpse of what we could expect. And what it means to me is, okay, we got all the confidence in the world in him. And now we get an entire offseason worth of working under Josh Heupel. Develops quarterbacks as well as any of them. And so he is playing for the right guys, playing in the right system. So I'm looking at him. I'm looking down at LSU, at Garrett Nussmeyer. He's been waiting, man. Garrett Nussmeyer, he was from the class of 2021. He's been around forever. He played versus Wisconsin in LSU's bowl game, threw for nearly 400 yards and three touchdowns. He's got a chance to shine in this offense. And it would be a great story too, because guys like Nussmeyer, most of the time, if they c- committed one place in 2021 and it's 2024, they've bounced around two or three times. He's stuck it out. And now he's in line to be the starter for them. And they've got confidence in him. It's not like he's the best of a bunch of bad options. They've got confidence in him. He's a redshirt junior this year, 6'2", 205. So it's it's a veteran who doesn't have a lot of playing experience, if that makes sense. At Kansas State, how could you not be excited for our guy, Avery Johnson? He's the reason Ohio State has a new quarterback. Will Howard looked, saw him, and said, I'm out. Big spark last year. Remember that Texas Tech game? Had like 19 touchdowns. Um, He's an excellent athlete. And he has now a full year, just like I talked about with Nico, to develop knowing he's the number one in that system of Chris Kleiman and the guys up there at Kansas State. And I am very much looking forward. He can run the ball. I'm looking forward to what they can make him into as a passer. Kansas State could be a fun, fun team to watch because of him this upcoming year. Now you've probably heard of most of those names, but the next name... Have you heard of him? Lenoris Sellers, anyone? Has anyone heard? I know you guys in Columbia have. I mentioned him last summer. I said, hey, Spencer is gonna be the starter for South Carolina this fall, but they got a kid named Lenoris Sellers and they know they hit a home run on him. And now it may be his time. I know Ashford transferred up there, but I think it's probably Lenoris Sellers' team this fall. I, um, I look at him. And Shane Beamer looks at him and his staff looks at him and they say, all right, that's our guy. We got to build around him. They brought in, I think, three receivers out of the portal. And also remember now, you can do stuff post spring in the portal. So I think there's a world where there's a certain amount of buzz and hype that starts to build around Lenora Sellers in Columbia. And then you sell that after spring to, hey, I know other guys are telling you, we've got a question at the quarterback position, but you hear that? You hear that drum beat? That's the quarterback you could come play with. Wouldn't shock me if that happened. And um, he's big boy, man. 6'3", 240, former three-star guy. But like I said, as soon as they got him on campus, they were really in love with him. Knew they had something with him. And I think they're right. What about USC? What about Lincoln Riley? Lincoln Riley and quarterback. Just that's the locked hand-in-hand emoji there. And Miller Moss is his guy now. Miller Moss uh, had six touchdowns in the bowl game against Louisville. 372 yards, he is yet again a reason why Ohio State probably has a transfer quarterback, at least one named Will Howard, because it looked like Howard was headed to USC. Then this bowl game happens, and Lincoln Riley himself said in the postgame, yeah, uh, Miller Moss probably played too good for us to get any other transfer quarterback now. And that's a system where they'll lean on their quarterback, because that's a system where they'll probably have to score a lot of points this year. And he's a former four-star, he's number 15 quarterback a few cycles back. Uh, Miller Moss should have a breakout year this fall, and it should probably just build above and beyond on what he did in that bowl game. And Jackson Arnold, very easy answer. I saved him for last uh, because this is the most slam dunk answer. Former five-star guy, former elite 11 MVP at Oklahoma. He played in their bowl game. Everyone's been waiting on this. This is Brent Venable's quarterback. So good that Dylan Gabriel started at UCF, started at Oklahoma. He looked at Jackson Arnold and said, yeah, I'm leaving. And it's not like he faded away. Uh, Dylan Gabriel transferred to Oregon and will be probably the starting quarterback at Oregon this upcoming year. Jackson Arnold was good enough to chase him away. And he is a guy who will have a good defense to play with. Offensive line, probably a question right now, but that will be a, a team that is built in a very complimentary fashion to where you don't have to look at him and say, all right, go hang 45 for us so we can have a chance to win today. So those are some of the names I'm looking at. You can circle any other names you want to. Let's move it along. Nice, nice crisp pace tonight on the show. Guess who we had a question about? It's been a little while, but we had a question about Colorado. Hey, Josh, I'm Edison from Bronx, New York. What's your assessment of Colorado's offseason? And is it a worry that we don't have a defensive coordinator yet? Thank you in advance. Yeah, it is. You, in an ideal world, you want a full coaching staff. Um, so I will answer brutally and honestly, yeah, I'm concerned about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm somewhat concerned when you've only got six high school players in your recruiting class and you're ranked 111th in recruiting. It, it concerns me a little bit, but you know what I've learned? I have learned to refuse to apply conventional wisdom to Deion Sanders. You're applying logic to an illogical situation. Okay. So there's the way the rest of the sport works. And then there's the way that, you know, things could work a little bit differently under Dion. I don't know what it is. Maybe magic, maybe something else, but I am not going to take Colorado and say, nope, toss them on the scrap heap. Not going to do it. I will not be tricked. I will not be fooled into doing that offensive line line of scrimmage was a big issue for them last year. They brought in six offensive linemen. They brought in eight defensive linemen. They got Jordan Seaton, five-star offensive tackle, who's probably the best out of that entire bunch. So line of scrimmage figures to be an improvement for them this year. I'm happy to just wait and see. So yeah, I'd be I'd be concerned that I don't have a DC yet, but I'll be happy to just wait and see. They play a really tough schedule this upcoming year. Everyone will have a target put on them. Um, it, it's just hard to win, period. But I'm, I'm happy to not make a prediction on Colorado in February. Let me put it that way. I'm happy to just say, I don't know. We'll see. I don't have to have everything figured out about Colorado in February. I will say this. Um, if they don't have it figured out, the slate of teams they play this year could humble you pretty quick. And that travel will catch up to you as well. They don't dodge many folks. It's them, and I, I forgot who we circled the other day, but there are some tough draws in the Big 12 conference schedule. Colorado may have gotten the toughest one. So concern, yeah, yeah. The over-under win total at FanDuel right now for Colorado this year is 5.5. To win the conference championship, they're plus 30,000. bet 100, to, oh boy, maybe I'll just go do that for fun. And that's, of, uh, that's as of today. Yeah, those are updated odds. So yeah, it may be concerning, but I also know they're not going about it in a conventional way. So I'm not going to apply conventional wisdom to an unconventional approach. It does feel like 2024 is the year they've clearly circled to try and make whatever they want to happen, happen, and then we'll see what happens. Speaking of our buddies at FanDuel, it's not just Colorado who you can go see the odds of. You can go check the odds on anybody. And if you feel so inclined, you can go make bets. On your team, if you're if you're an Oklahoma State fan and you really are itching to take 10 spare dollars and put it on the Cowboys to win it all this year, FanDuel may lightly chuckle, but they would be happy to take that action. You got the Super Bowl coming up. You got college basketball virtually every night of the week. You guys want to put $5 down. You can get 150 back in bonus bets. Doesn't even matter if the team wins or loses. Doesn't matter if they cover or don't cover. Go take advantage of that. And uh, FanDuel is the exclusive odds provider of this program, and we appreciate them working hand-in-hand with us. I've said that a lot tonight. A lot of hand-in-hand, a lot of arm-in-arm. Cooperation, as, as always, is key. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1 800 9 with it in Indiana. 1 800 522 4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1 877 770 stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1 800 gambler.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8HOPE-NY or text hope ny in New York. All right, uh, the last thing that I wanted to touch on tonight, there went a whale breach sound. The last thing I wanted to touch on tonight was... um, Something that's been happening out of the public's view, and I will, I'll just explain it to you. So, JM hit me and said, hey, how do you feel about them dragging you over on the USC boards? Well, I can confirm it's happening on one board, the Peristyle, over there at uscfootball.com. And here's what it's about. The other night, we were talking about programs in the Big Ten, and we were talking about the four newcomers to the Big Ten you got USC, you got UCLA, and you got Oregon and Washington. And so I wanted to ask myself, as programs, where do they fit in? Do they enter as the 10th best, as the third best, as the seventh best? And so I responded accordingly. And I said, I thought USC as a program was entering the big 10 in the third tier. And then I defined what the tiers were. I said, I think Ohio State and Oregon are in tier one. You can put Michigan up there if you want to. If you don't, Michigan's clearly in tier two with Penn State. And that's it. So four total teams make up the first two tiers. And then I said, after that, it's really, really muddy. But I think there's clear separation. And I said, USC would be in tier three. So they grabbed that over on the USC site and they took it to the board and they talked about how insane that was. Now, I have no problem going to our team site boards and conversing with people. And so I did. I got a heads up a little bit late, but I did. I went over there and there's a four page deep thread on the peristyle now where we've been going back and forth and I have not gotten a valid rebuttal that's changed my mind yet. So what I did get, and this is fair, what I did get was a whole lot of folks saying, if we maximize our potential in the Big Ten, we are a tier one program. Of course you are. I don't disagree with that. As I stated earlier tonight, as I'll state one more time, when I'm talking about how you're entering and where you're being placed. I'm talking about the here and now. I'm talking about a rolling three-year snapshot. What's your stability? What's your talent acquisition level? And in USC's case, how do you match up philosophically with what you're going to have to be to win in the Big Ten? And it's very unstable right now. It's very uncertain. So certainly, if it pans out, you can be a tier one program. But that's not how you're entering. I had other folks say you just hate USC, which is... uh, Out of all the allegations, I get thrown my way. One of the most inaccurate allegations I have admitted before that I grew up in the South and a bunch of folks in the they hated USC in the South because it was the Pete Carroll era. That's when I was growing up. Everyone nationally hated USC. Wasn't just a Southern thing. Now, I remember when USC came to Auburn. I think, blanked Auburn that afternoon. And I remember how all the old heads in the SEC had been talking about how that southern humidity was going to bite the Trojans. And then the Trojans come in there and say, "Uh, hello, y'all going to score? What y'all going to do? And I remember kind of chuckling because it made a lot of people look foolish down there. Um, I couldn't care less. I actually root for USC. I've admitted that many times. Uh, Would love to be able to cover the sport as USC was a tier one program nationally. Would love that. I hope I've been pretty clear about that. And then I had some people say that I had USC as a tier three Big Ten team because of SEC homerism, when literally every team in the conversation is a non-SEC team. So anyway, I will take you guys back to spring, I guess. That's when Lincoln Riley had overhauled his defensive staff, And Lincoln Riley said, along with that overhaul, we're overhauling our philosophy. He didn't do that because they're where they need to be as a program. He did that because they're they're not where they need to be as a program. And he understands. We are going to a world where they play a certain caliber of football on the line of scrimmage. You want to know where you don't measure up right now as a program? You don't acquire and develop talent along the lines of scrimmage like Ohio State, like Michigan, like Oregon even does, or like Penn State does, and you will get humbled very quickly if you can't match up on the line of scrimmage. You guys have seen that out in the Pac-12. And by the way, you know, not to bring up bad memories, but I was summoned on that little board uh, about, I don't know, not quite a year ago, when I had predicted that USC would underachieve last year. And everyone doubted it, and everyone wants to call you names. And then they go seven and five and then everyone shuts up. No one comes back to own it, Uh, but I was right. And right now, I'm right on this. This is, it is opinion, but it's not really hard to figure out. USC's not entering the Big Ten as a tier one or even a tier two. With the caveat, those tiers aren't deep. I think there are two teams in each one of them. And USC's not on par as program with any of the four. Now, outside of that, you kind of grab bag it. And they could absolutely ascend to being a Tier 1 program very quickly there. You know what, though? If I'm wrong, if I'm wrong about them entering as a third-tier program in the Big Ten, and you're right in that they're a Tier 1, they'll challenge for the Big Ten championship this year. Uh, They don't play Oregon. They don't play Ohio State, probably 1-2 and in any order in the Big Ten, entering the season. They get Penn State at home. They go on the road to Michigan as Michigan is hitting reset. They go on the road to Washington as Washington is hitting reset. They get Notre Dame at home at the very end of the year. If you're right and I'm wrong, it'll bear itself out on the field. USC will be a Big Ten championship contender. They'll be right there in the thick of it this year. It doesn't matter if it's year one. So good news. Good news for everyone who thinks I'm wrong on that. They'll play the season this fall, and they they will throw egg all over my face. Happened before, it has happened before, but um I don't know. I don't know. I did not see an argument that um that pushed me off of my default point of view, I'll say that. Alright, good show tonight. Uh here's what we're doing this week. I we have a normal show Thursday, so the schedule will be normal. We'll have a late kick extra pod coming up though. We will have a late kick extra pod this Tuesday. Now that will not be on the YouTube channel. Only way to get that's in the podcast feed. Make sure you subscribe while you're over there. And you know what? A lot of stuff going on behind the scenes right now. Make sure you're following on the socials as well at Late Kick Josh, Instagram, Twitter, and the like. Appreciate you guys so much. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care, have a great start to your week, and God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1 800 NEXT STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1 800 9 with it in Indiana. 1 800 522 4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1 877 770 STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland